Well, it's, it's good to see all y'all. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here. My name's David, and I'm the pastor. I hope you feel welcome. Happy Father's Day to all of you, especially your dads. Uh, Father's Day is always kind of unique. I, when I was in the, growing up in the 70s, a teenager, when we listened to a song, some of you bought songs. Uh, this is something that some of you are too young to know, but they had these things on vinyl called 45s. They were single records. They were just a single song, an A-side and a B-side. And so when you wanted to release a hit song, um, you, you would release the 45. And the one you want to be the hit was on the A-side, but there was also a song on the B-side. It was, eh, whatever. And I've always kind of felt that Father's Day is like the B-side of a 45 record. And Mother's Day, yeah, it's the greatest hit. Father's Day, nah, whatever, we'll do it. So happy, eh, whatever to you guys out there today, you know. We're in a series uh, entitled The Kingmaker. It's about Samuel. And we started it two weeks ago, and we'll go through the end of July. And uh, in The Kingmaker, Samuel, Samuel's this unbelievable figure that came into the life of Israel at a time of utter chaos. And, and when Israel was just, as a nation, they were scattered. They were not worshiping God the correct way. The false worship had come in. We saw last week, there was just, you know, the... the priesthood had become corrupt, and, and Samuel comes into the scene. And in this series, what I really want to get through to you, and, and, and really try to get through and understand, is that Samuel teaches us everybody needs somebody to save them. He really does. It's kind of, you go through Samuel, everybody, we need somebody to save us. And two weeks ago, we were in the, actually in the book of Judges. We saw that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You know, the, the worship was completely corrupt. Um, last week, you know, the priesthood was corrupt, and, but God had this guy, and we saw him last week as a baby, as a child, coming to the scene, named Samuel. And the thing that I shared with you from that message last week was that commitment overcomes rebellion. That we can live in rebellion against God, but ultimately in God's way, the commitment will overcome the rebellion. Which brings us to the message today, which is actually in the third chapter of Samuel. And it's entitled, The Prophet. Because what I want you to see today is the central attribute of, of Samuel, what he really was. Now, he was a judge, yes, he would function as a priest. And more than anything else, he is a prophet. And see the importance of him being a prophet. And so here's what I'd like you to see from the message today, that historically, historically, God chose certain people to reveal to us something about who he is and what he expects. God reveals himself to us through people. And they show us something about who God is and what God expects of us. So that brings us then to this message today. And I want to start off by saying that it was time to shake things up. I mean, God, God was going to shake things up. That, in fact, kind of in his, in, his, in his judgment against the priest Eli, he says, I'm going to do things that's going to cause you to tingle. It's going to cause things to be different. And, and he, no longer was he going to allow this apostasy, this rebellion against God to continue. He was going to shake it up, and he was going to send a guy to do it. Now, you need to understand, Israel as a nation had not had one main leader in several hundred years. Since Joshua, depending on how you date the Exodus and all things, it had been at least 200 years, maybe more, since they had one guy to lead them. Because the judges didn't lead the whole country. They led bits and pieces, and that was a failed experiment in itself. They hadn't had a prophet, though, since really, since Moses. And so here, here onto the scene was going to come 
Samuel. Now, in, in chapter 3, is the call experience of Samuel to what he was to do. And we're told that Samuel was, was a boy. Now, that does not mean he was like seven or eight. I mean, it means he was not yet recognized as a man. And we're told that he really didn't know the Lord. And when it means know the Lord, it doesn't mean he didn't know about the Lord or that he didn't worship him or serve him because it tells us he served him. It means he didn't know the Lord in the way that God was going to soon reveal himself to him. So Samuel was asleep. And, and he heard a voice. It was the Lord speaking to him. But he assumed it was Eli. <clears throat> so he went to Eli and he said, what is it? And Eli said, I didn't speak to you. Go back to bed. This happened three times. And on the third time, Eli realized, well, this is the Lord speaking to you. So next time, say, what is it, Lord? And the Lord will reveal himself to you. And that's what happened. And then the next morning, Eli says, Samuel, what did the Lord tell you? And what the Lord had done is given him a word of judgment against Eli. Now, in chapter 2, we had already seen there was a man of God who came and pronounced judgment on the house of Eli. But now it's coming through Samuel. And what's going to happen is about to happen soon. It's about to happen quickly. And we see Samuel now as the prophet delivering the word of God. And Eli understands and accepts that. And then we come to the passage we're in today. And, and this passage is just brief. But it is a summation that looks back and looks forward. It tells us who Samuel's going to be and the primary role he is going to take. And in verse 19, it says this. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. As he grew, it means it's summarizing. He's growing up. He's getting bigger. He's going to get older. Time is going to pass. The Lord is with him. Now, the term Lord, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh, that is the personal covenant name of God to his people. Now, there were many false gods that didn't exist. They all had names, and the people believed, you know, different countries and different nations, they all had their own gods. God's name, the Lord, was for his people. Now, he's not one of many gods, he's the only God. And something about his name shares that. When Moses went to the people who were in Egypt, and, and God said, you're going to go to them and deliver them, and he's going to say, well, who sent me? They're going to want to know the name. They're going to want to know who you are. And the God said, tell them, Yahweh has sent you. Yahweh is Yahweh. Yahweh, I am who I am. The term Yahweh means the great I am. It is the sense and essence of being, of existence. It is the God who exists in all his fullness. He's the only God who exists. This is the Lord. He was with Samuel. How good it would be to be able to say throughout the balance of my life, the Lord is always with me. Oh, man. That'd be so cool. And he would be, if I didn't keep messing things up so much. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. From this point forward, nothing that Samuel says on behalf of God will ever fail. Verse 20, all Israel, all of them, from Dan in the top to Beersheba down below, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. I'm going to talk about the word prophet in a minute. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Because the Lord, get this, revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. The Lord revealed himself. He made himself known to Samuel. And he did it by the word of the Lord. In these verses, three key concepts come to light about not only Samuel, but by the way God deals with humans and how God carries out his plan in saving us. It's the word prophet, the word reveal, and the word word. So let me just talk to you about those a little bit. I'm going to begin with the word prophet. The word prophet is found in the Old and the New Testament. It is oftentimes misunderstood. Very much so misunderstood, especially in America in the 20th and 21st century. So let me give you a definition of a prophet. The prophet was one who spoke the mind of God. 
words. He spoke what God wanted to have spoken. He gets this. He revealed, clarified, and confirmed who God is and what God expects. Not who he was and expected, but to this day, who he is and what he expects. Now, we have a tendency to think that a prophet is one who tells the future. Tell us what God is going to do in the future and all the apocalyptic and the end times and all that. That's because in the last couple of centuries of American life, that concept has hijacked the biblical concept of a prophet. And that's why we have so many false prophets and so many false churches and so many confused people. They misunderstand the nature of prophecy. Now, it's not that a predictive element doesn't occur because we tend to think it's predicting something. But that the predictive element, it substantiates or it affirms the proclamation, because primarily to be a prophet is to proclaim. It is to share God's word. It's to tell about God. Think about the prophet Moses. Israel had been captives in Israel for 400 years. Moses, Moses was going to go to them. They, they didn't know anything about the Lord. I mean, they probably knew his name. They knew that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshipped this guy, but he had been absent in their mind 400 years. So when Moses goes, what does he do? He reveals the Lord to them. He's making him known. And then he tells them, I'm going to get you out. And he goes and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, why should I let him go? And so he begins to reveal to Pharaoh. And he, he has these things called plagues. And these plagues come. And these plagues clarify exactly who is God. It is not Pharaoh, it is Yahweh. Who's going to be the true God? Because Pharaoh thought himself God and he's not. There's clarity in that. And those plagues are important. For instance, the plague of frogs. Who doesn't want a plague of frogs to come upon them, right? And so the frogs came. And so the key thing is frogs are going to come. Now, if the frogs were already coming and, and he just walked up and said, hey, see all these frogs? That's God. Pharaoh would have said, you can't tell me that's God. You're just claiming something that already existed. So he says frogs are going to come. The key isn't that when they were coming, but that they're coming from God. And when they come, it confirms that this is truly the prophet of God. And then also as they go then and are released and they go on Mount Sinai and he gives them the Ten Commandments. He's speaking the mind of God. Here's how you worship God. Here's Ten Commandments. That's what they do. So it's not the predictive element. It's the proclamation. It'd be like, it'd be like this. If I said to you, and then this one, I'm not going to say this to any of you. Don't get your hopes up. But if I was to come to you and said, I want to take you to lunch after all four services, it'll probably be about 1.30. What you wouldn't understand is not the key thing is that something's going to happen at 1.30. The miracle is that I'm taking you to lunch. <laughs> if it happens at 1.30 or even at 1.45 or even at 2 o'clock, all that shows is, is that I really did it. When you come into the New Testament, the concept of prophet is there also. Nothing's changed. The prophet still proclaims the mind of God, but now he's proclaiming Jesus. And so that was the role of the prophet. And the, and the church is to have the prophetic role. So what I'm doing right now is in the New Testament sense, taking the role of a prophet, not because I'm telling the future or revealing something new, but because I'm speaking from the mind of God. I'm speaking from the scriptures. It's my task. It's not about telling you the future. That's where people get it wrong. In fact, here's the thing. The prophetic voice today is to share what God has already revealed, not to predict future events. Let me tell you something. I can't predict the future, but I can tell you what God has revealed. 
That is the task of the prophet. Samuel was the prophet of God. And what did he do? It tells us. The Lord came and revealed himself to Samuel. So the concept of revelation is important. Revelation is God making himself known. That's what it is. We're not talking about the last book of the Bible. We're talking about God making himself known. He did it to Samuel. And that's how God functions even today. He reveals himself. And one of the things that we share quite often is that when you come to the Old and New Testament, you see something. And I share this all the time. The Old Testament points to someone. It points to something. The New Testament tells us who it is it points to. That's Jesus. The Old Testament is fulfilled in the New. The New Testament, Old Testament is progressive. It's moving things along. One of the things we say is that the revelation of God as God reveals himself to us is progressive. He does it in bits and pieces. He does it partially in the Old Testament. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we see certain things about God. We see, for instance, that God reveals because it's telling us God is revealed. The fact that God, we have this verse about God is God's revealing. We wouldn't know this otherwise. It tells us that God exists. There is a God. Because Genesis 1-1 says, there's God. It tells us that God is holy. Because when he works, he is separate from his creation. In fact, it tells us that God creates. God creates something from nothing. In his holiness, he is separate. The holiness of God is a central characteristic of God. It tells us he has power. To create something from nothing takes power. It tells us he has purpose. We see certain things about God. But you know what we don't see about God? We don't see his love. And we don't see his mercy. And we don't see his justice, not till later on. It slowly progresses. And in the Old Testament, what we don't see, who we don't see, is Jesus. It's pointing to him. It's looking forward to him. We don't see him there. He's not there yet. Until you get to the New Testament. And here's what we see from the New Testament perspective, that Jesus is the final and complete Revelation of God. After Jesus, they ain't no more. Anybody says to you, I've got a revelation from God, they're lying through their teeth. They're flat lying. Are they either delusional or they're deceptive? There is no more revelation to us from God. How do we know? Because Jesus tells us this. <laughs> Jesus says, you know, he says, you know, the, the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. So I didn't come to await them, I fulfilled them. I brought them to their Conclusion, it's over. In, in John chapter 14, hours from his death, hours from his death, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. He's trying to get them through everything. And he tells them, he says, you know the way to the Father. And Thomas says, what's the way to the Father? And Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, if, if I have, you know me, he says, you know the Father. He says, you know me, you know the Father. And then Philip says, we want to see the Father. Show us the Father. And then in John 14, 9, this is what Jesus says. He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, seen the Father. There's nothing in it. You know, I look a little bit like my father. But if you're looking at me, you ain't looking at my dad. For one thing, he's dead. So he ain't going to be you know, looking at him. And so... You see me, you may see resemblance, but no, no, Jesus didn't say, when you see me, you see some things about the Father. No, 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 no. He says, you see me, 
you see the Father. 35 years later, after the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity was becoming more Gentile and less Jewish. And a lot of Jews were, were thinking about leaving, who were Christians, leaving Christianity to go back to Judaism. And a guy wrote a letter called Hebrews. We call it Hebrews. It's a phenomenal letter. In that letter, he says, if you go back to the Jewish system, you have lost everything. He said, the Jewish system is over. It's dead. The followers of Christ have completely replaced it. There is no longer any place in the Jewish religious system. I'm amazed at people today that think that at some point when Jesus comes again, he's going to reestablish the Jewish way of worship. When the book of Hebrews says it's not going to happen. If you believe that, you're in disagreement with the New Testament. I'm sorry, that's your problem, it ain't mine. He begins the book of Hebrews. It's, fun, it's unbelievable this way. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers uh, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, in other words, in this time right now, has spoken, final, it's, it's the concept of final, has spoken to us in his son, whom, by the way, he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. I mean, this is it. The final revelation of God to us is Jesus. Which brings us to us now that how does God normally reveal? And the way God reveals to Samuel is by his word. The word of God seen throughout the pages of Revelation is powerful to us. We think of the word of God as Bible, and mainly so, I get that. But the word of God is more than that. It speaks of power. It speaks of who God is and what he shares with us. More importantly, the word of God is his authoritative and authentic way of making himself in his will known. It's authoritative. It comes from his power. It's authentic. It's the one and only real. It's how he makes himself known in his will known. Samuel, God revealed himself to him through his word. Spoke. Samuel listened. Samuel acted. Does God still speak to us in his word today? Yes, but not audibly. <laughs> when someone says, you know, God spoke to me. Okay, I think I know what you mean. I guess I'm going to clarify. But when we say that God speaks to us, what he means is somehow connected to Jesus is God speaking. For the ultimate word of God is Jesus. Do you understand that? The ultimate word of God. The word of God is how he reveals himself to us. If Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God and God reveals himself through his word, then the ultimate word of God is Jesus. And that's when it stops. It stops with him. John, in his gospel, wrote something just so powerful. John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. That term word is the Greek word lakos. Lakos to the Jew meant the power of God as he speaks. The logos to the Greek would be the reality of the world. John says that logos, he's telling us it's Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The logos was God. And then in verse 14 he says, and the word became something, something that had never become before. It became flesh, like you and I, it dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from God. The Father, full, complete, with grace and truth. There's no other word left. That is the ultimate word of God to us. Now, here is Samuel. And Samuel's important because over a thousand years before Jesus, he was his prophet and had been a prophet in a long time. 
And God took this prophet and he revealed himself to this guy, Samuel. And in revealing himself to Samuel, he used the word. And Samuel took it and he shared that word to the people around him. And God never let that word fail because the word of God never fails. And the people of God began to leave paganism. And they began to leave the worship of Baalism. It took some time, but they began to leave. And they began to come to God. And the highlight of his career as a prophet, he anointed a young man to be king. A young man he would never fully see as king because he would die. But that young man was David. And David would take those people to the greatest high they ever knew. Not just militarily, but under David, the people of Israel worshiped God and God alone. The priesthood was in its purest form. It was the greatest spiritual moment in the history of Israel. And at his death, everything fell apart. And would stay falling apart for almost a thousand years. Till Jesus. Here's the thing that Samuel does. <clears throat> he looks to David, yes, but he looks past David and he points in a direction that is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Jesus is the one who shook things up because he's the ultimate revelation of God to man. Which brings me now to this, to talk to you about the power of revelation because in God revealing himself to us it's unbelievable power in our lives one of the hardest things I do as a pastor is have to be with people in the lowest moments of their life there will be people here in the worship services today and the four of them that I've been with you maybe some of you here it could be the time when their sin is caught up with them and their sin has crushed them and rebellion against God if you don't turn away from it will crush you could be the moment of, of death. They lost someone they love, even if the person went to be with Christ. If, if it was at an unforeseen moment, if there was a tragic circumstance, it's just a crushing experience. Sometimes it's the inevitability of their own death. If they have been told that they don't have much time left. That's not something somebody ever wants to hear. Is you don't have much time left. Could be in any illness. Their illness, the illness of someone they love. And the fact that they probably will never see a cure for it. It could be that the family falls apart through a divorce that was unwanted, the realization of infidelity they thought would never happen through a child in their rebellion against them. Sometimes life is really hard. Sometimes life seems hopeless. Sometimes our life seems hopeless. Which is why I tell you that everybody needs somebody to save them. And therein is the power of revelation. Because in revelation there is hope. Christianity is built upon the foundation of Jesus. But upon Jesus, as I have shared many times, there's four cornerstones, four pillars of our faith that our faith is built upon. Two of them are unique to the New Testament. They're the incarnation and resurrection. The incarnation of Jesus, we celebrated Christmas. The resurrection, we celebrated Easter. But there are two that are begin in Genesis 1 and are seen through the rest of the pages of the Bible. It's creation that God created in his revelation. That God reveals himself to us. We see when God reveals what he's doing is speaking. And in our lowest moments, we need to know that God is there. 
We want to hear God speak to us, that he has something to say about us, to us, for us. When Samuel came along, Israel was a mess. Their sin destroyed them. And they needed to hear something from their God. They needed to hear him speak. He brought Samuel. Samuel spoke the mind of God. And when he did, he did something so special. Samuel, even to this day, points us to God as the one who reveals. When I put this series together a year ago, it wasn't to teach us something about Samuel. It was to help us understand that Samuel does something so important that it seemed throughout the pages of the old and new revelation. He points us to the one who speaks to us. And ultimately, though Samuel never knew it, he points to Jesus as the final word of God. Listen, when I, when I come to Samuel's story, it's not that I see Jesus in all the pages of Samuel. It's not that I look at the Old Testament and I say, I see Jesus here and I see Jesus there. In fact, I don't ever see that at all. I'm not a person who believes that Jesus made any appearances in the Old Testament. I don't believe that at all because the New Testament doesn't give us permission to think that. Some believe that Jesus made Old Testament appearances, but the New Testament never gives us permission to think that. There's no reason to think that. Now, I think Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament because he told us that. He said, I came to fulfill all of it. I think it all points to him. I think when you see Matthew talk about the virgin birth of Jesus and he goes back to Isaiah, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah didn't know that the virgin birth applied to Jesus, but Matthew says, yeah, that's exactly what applied to Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took Psalm 22 and he made it his own. When David wrote Psalm 22, he wasn't thinking about Jesus, but when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, that was about me. It all points to him. It all points to Jesus. And when you're at the lowest moment of your life, when your sin has ruined your life and you finally wake up to that, there is Jesus. And when the pain in your life, physical, spiritual, emotional, is so bad, you think you can't go on until you understand there is Jesus. And when your life has no meaning or purpose, and you don't even know why you exist, there is Jesus. It is why I say constantly to you, get people to Jesus as fast as you can. For Jesus has the power of revelation to change their life. This church isn't here to change our culture. This church isn't here to make America great. This church isn't here to solve all the social justice problems. This church is here for only one reason. It's the reason every church exists, whether they know it or not. It's to help people find Jesus. It is to take the prophetic role 
of proclaiming the revelation to God, his ultimate revelation, which is his final word on everything, which is Jesus. And here's why. Because revelation has power. Because God has power. And that power is seen most clearly in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is why we trust the resurrected Jesus as Lord, as Savior. This is why we follow him. Because everybody needs somebody to save them. And only Jesus has the power to save. Only he can change your life. I started this sermon today by saying historically, God chooses certain people so that he can in some way reveal something about who he is and what he expects. Samuel was one of those people. What Samuel does is he points to one far greater than himself. He points to the final revelation of God We want to know who God is and what he expects. It's Jesus. That's where you go. And some of you today, you need Jesus. You came here today looking for something. What you need is Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Savior, if you've never given your life to him, you can do that. And it doesn't mean all your problems are going away tomorrow. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean everything's going to get better. It doesn't mean that, but it means you have someone to give you hope. Someone to take you and guide you. Someone to change your life. So you will have meaning. And you will have purpose. And you will have a power that comes only through him. Some of you, you're a father of Christ. But you don't turn to the revelation of God to guide your life. You're not letting his power, his revelation leads you and guides you and moves you. You're not letting that final word be the word in your life. And you're living like someone who doesn't even know who Jesus is. How long are you going to do that? How long until you come back to the power that once changed your life and that will lead you and guide you? We're going to be standing here, some of us, ladies, if you feel more comfortable with another woman, there'll be another woman here. And if you want to come and talk to one of us or pray with one of us, we will. If you need to give your life to Christ, we can help. If you want to join your church, you can. But what we want you to do more than anything is to understand that when you leave this place, there is power in the revelation of God. There is power in Jesus. And it's the power that God uses to change your life. So on this Father's Day, Holy Father, we come to you. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we come with the power of the Holy Spirit you provide us. And we come as people who at times are broken and at times are hurting and at times have a life with no meaning and at times seem so hopeless. And we come looking and searching, wanting you to speak to us, wanting you to say something to us. Just like you did so long ago when you spoke to Samuel. God, 
God, you do speak. You speak to us in one way, one beautiful way, that is Jesus. So I ask that you speak to us now and let us experience the power of you revealing to us who you are and what you expect and letting us leave this place today surrendered to you through Christ. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here.